Hey everyone, it's Klaatu, and this is the GNU World Order, episode 21 of season 12. Nobody is as disappointed as I am that I have nothing really, really exciting and unique for a palindromic episode like 1221. I am sorry. I do have a whole collection of random tips and topics to talk about, though, so let's get started. First and foremost, let's talk about Slackware. So I got a, an email from uh, somebody, and the person's general name is Jake. Uh, Jake was asking about what I thought the release schedule for Slackware may be. Or, or rather specifically, when the next one is coming out. The, the context was, hey, I'm going to install Slackware. Should I do that today, or should I wait for the next release, because surely it must be imminent? Well, we don't really know that, of course, because Slackware is not developed by a community. It is, com it is developed by one person, Pat Volkerding, with a small team of assistants. And, and so it's, it, it's not, I, I want to say it's, I will say what people believe, and that is to say it's not developed, you know, transparently, or it's not a community-based distribution. Now, if you're if if you're familiar with Slackware and if you've got some experience with it and you take an active role in it, then you may find that that's not exactly accurate because it, there is actually quite the community around Slackware, and while there are different communities around Slackware. There are definitely different pockets of communities, just just like with anything, I think. And there's certainly no you know, community manager to sort of uh, bring the community into conformance with one another, it, it, or, or to, you know, to, to make sure that the community has the best sort of public-facing um, image on it. But But there are communities around Slackware, and and you can certainly talk to the developers and the maintainers and to Pat Volkerding himself if you want to. Uh, and so there are ways to contribute to the development without saying, okay, well, this is the package that I manage, although there's a way to do that as well. So there, there's quite a lot of activity around Slackware, actually, and to say that it's not a community distribution, I believe, is sort of is, – is looking at the lack of, for instance, you know, a, a – um, a slackware.com slash community site and 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 thinking well that doesn't exist so there's no community um it's it's just not accurate anyway we still don't know what the release cycle is like fedora you you have go no go meetings debian has mailing lists announcing okay we're going to release uh, at this time there's going to be a feature freeze right now get all your changes in we're going uh, although, to be to be fair, on Debian, that, that happens, at least from what I've seen, f rather late in the game as well. So, a, a little bit, you know, it's it's not, like, Fedora has very strict release cycle dates, and, and others do not, and Slackware does not. But there are past examples. So, 14.2 was released on 2016, uh, July 2016 specifically. 14.1 uh, was released on... November 4 of 2013, so we are getting, like, just based on on recent activity, we're, we're getting there. We're getting definitely closer to, to when it feels like it should be happening. I don't think we're there yet, um, but it is interesting to look at the changelog of Slackware. If you go to mirrors.slackware.com slash slackware slash slackware dash 14.2 slash changelog, 
uh, and there's also a changelog for Slackware-current changelog. You can monitor those. I, I have my browsers generally set to that as its front page, so I can always see the latest activity on there. And I did notice that some time ago on, I it must have been current. Yeah, it was current, obviously. Uh, and it was just a couple of weeks ago now. The whole Slackware distribution was rebuilt. I mean, it, just everything was rebuilt for for some reason that doesn't happen every day so that's kind of significant i feel like that's that's kind of a big deal usually there's you know you, you get updates to a package or or some up yeah an update i guess or a fix a security update to a package that that kind of gets rolled into the current to the current distribution. Now, when I say current, that's a separate thing than the stable distribution. So I'm running 14.2. I see security updates. I don't see just random. Oh, this this package should be updated. That's in current. I could I could do that. I could follow current and run current as sort of as a rolling distro. But um, I don't really have a need to do that right now, and I don't really have an interest in doing that right now. So I don't. Point being, a couple of weeks ago. The whole distribution was rebuilt pretty much from the bottom up, so that that usually means something significant has happened. Now it could have just been uh, an update to libc and everything wants to be updated because of optimizations or ABI or whatever. I don't know, but it it, it was kind of interesting that that did happen. Now. The, the, the so those are two arguments against or, or or four like we're getting close because uh, time has passed and there was this big major rebuild. Arguments against it, however, include things like Slackbuilds.org, which is the official unofficial uh, extra repository for Slackware. It is usual in Slackbuilds.org, and I maintain several packages for Slackbuilds.org, so I'm. I'm and I've subscribed to their mailing, the user's mailing list. Uh, and it's pretty common for slackbuilds.org for there to be some rumbling about, okay, we need to start sort of drawing, you know, bringing this branch to sort of a, a peaceful close so that we can start updating everything for the next release. There's that, that sort of uncomfortable, you know, two or three or four week period there every time Slackware flips over to the next release where there's kind of a what you'd call a feature freeze on, you know, on the previous and and everyone's doing the mad rush to make sure that their scripts are working on the next release. So that's that's not happening yet. That's not that has I have not heard anything about that. There's no murmurings, there's no mumblings, there's really no activity about that at all. So that's an argument against it. And of course, linuxquestions.org is the official forum for Slackware. So if you go there and kind of look look around, I mean, there's a lot of conjecture. But once again, I'm just not getting the sense uh, that Slackware is, is that Slackware 15, or whatever it would be, it's probably going to be 15, uh, is imminent. Not quite yet. So my official my official prediction is another, I don't know, Let's call it eight months. I think I said six in my email back to Jake, but I'm upping it to eight now because I've had time to think about it and to become more cynical. Ask me again later. It'll be another year and a half. Okay, so that's my official Slackware prediction. It has absolutely no weight, and it's probably incorrect.
Next topic I wanted to touch on really quickly is an email. I think it was from Donald. Yes, it was from Donald. And he was telling me about a really cool option in LV land, in LVM, uh, for uh, uh, an easier way to extend an LV slice. I, I don't know if that's the correct term for it. I I like the idea. I like the term slice because I guess I, I know I stole it from BSDs, but... I like that term because it, it kind of, it's different than a partition, it's different than a drive, it's different than a file system, it's a slice. But anyway, easier way to resize an LV uh, entity volume, and a logical volume, that's what it is. So in my in my episode, what it was, 1218, I think, I was saying uh, that you could resize an, a drive, a, a virtual drive in your pool, with LV extend and then resize FS. Turns out you can do all of that sort of at once with something called LV resize. So LV resize dash capital L for size, so dash dash size, four gigs, let's say you're adding four gigs, and then dash dash size, or rather, sorry, dash dash resize FS or a short option is dash r. And then the path to the slice that you want to resize, so slash dev slash mapper slash uh, marketing or slash finance or whatever, you know, whatever drive you are adding space to. So the LV resize not only grabs four gigs from your pool and dumps it into um, slash dev slash mapper slash foo, but it also does the dash dash resize fs to expand the file system on that slice to fit what you've just added to it. Very, very slick, very easy, all in one command. Uh, I'm glad that Donald told me about it. It's funny because as I go through the Slackware packages on this show, the whole idea is for me to to discover all of these new commands, and I've I've spent now certainly one one episode on on LVM specifically and then again kind of with Lux we kind of we, we flirted with LVM a little bit I mean it's kind of within that whole like oh manage your disks and do cool things with your drives uh, space but the um, the LVM thing like I, I I got through that without ever discovering LV resize which which I should have discovered theoretically in this in this comprehensive overview of all packages installed on Slackware by default. But um my my mistake was I guess I didn't delve deep enough into the LVM package and just kind of went with went with the commands that I already knew. And I mean I I've, I've noticed LV resize, believe me. Like every time that I type in LV and then tab several times, I see that LV resize exists. I just uh, never really bothered investigating it. It's really funny how your just habits that you don't even know are habits kind of put blinders on you so that you're not discovering different tools. But anyway, it's good to know about LV resize dash dash size for uh, 100 gigs whatever dash dash resize fs path to the disk that you want to resize. I know it seems early for this, but 
you know what? It's time for a coffee break. Okay, I hope you got yourself a cup of coffee because this is this is a topic that honestly is a little bit painful, but luckily it's 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 going to get better. I have coffee. I also have a really good cheese scone or scone or however you say that um, that I made myself. Uh, I was looking for a biscuit recipe, which in New Zealand, of course, if you said I'm looking for a biscuit recipe, they would believe that you are making a cookie. Uh, being an American, I think of biscuits as a flour, baking soda, and water um, breaded item. But I was looking for this thing, and I, and I wanted a really fluffy biscuit. So I thought, well, I will look for a... And I found, like, the, the simple, you know, canonical American biscuit. It, it is. It's water, flour, and baking soda, something like that. It's it's really, it's a pretty simple little recipe. You can throw it together in no time. Oh, butter, obviously, a lot of you put butter in there um and yeah in fact there's no water in there at all it's milk it's it's butter flour baking soda and milk something like that um you you put it all together and you bake it and it sort of it may or may not fluff up it kind of depends on what you put in there so i found this probably to be fair over complex recipe online uh, for biscuits and they were fantastic and i thought you know what all i have to do is add some grated cheese in there and bake this thing, and it will become a cheese scone. And so I did that, and they are fantastic. So there you go. Anyway, what the, the topic I'm actually going to talk about is PDFs. And PDFs, I don't want you to, to confuse my discussion of a PDF to, to mean that I at all like PDF or support the idea of PDF or, or think that you should have anything to do in the world with a PDF. The PDF spec is an ugly, ugly spec. It, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It is meant, of course, as a digital, the digital version of a printer. If you were going to send something to a printer, before you do that, send it to your screen. What you see on your screen will, in the end, be what you see coming out of your printer. That's the purpose. And especially when it was first developed, that was a significant thing. It was an important thing for lots of people because they were designing in programs that, on very obviously now we would we consider them old i mean they were state of the art then old computers that couldn't even display high resolution graphics i mean they could but it would take ages much less if you were designing a 30 page magazine or a 300 or 500 page book with filled with gra graphics it would just not your program would not be able to function so what they would do is they would have little boxes that represent okay there's an image here and maybe you could maybe you'd have like a really low res version of the image so you could kind of get an idea of what it was going to be like but generally speaking they would just have you know these boxes of practically unintelligible graphic nature they would have all their copy all the text and looking at the thing they they would know the layout but they wouldn't know the look so they would they would do what's called pre-flight and that was where pdf really came in and and changed everything for the industry because you could take your your program out of your design uh your your document out of your design program 
and send it to PDF, it would render it with full graphics, and then you could load that PDF on your screen and kind of look and see, you know, okay, is this is this graphic placed where it needs to be placed? Is it too close to the text? Is there some element in the graphic that that because it extends all the way to the edge is butting up against the the title page, the the title on this page, or or is the background that I threw into the background not opaque enough? Is it too, or or rather too opaque? Is it not transparent enough? Do we need to dial that down a little bit? And so on. So that was what PDF was for historically, and then it developed into this sort of. Well, today I believe that PDF seems to think, as far as I can tell, it believes that it's a multimedia content delivery system. I mean, you can stuff movies into PDFs. You can uh, you can have PDFs, I guess, that now reflow, quote unquote, where the the text actually shifts around. So, in fact, a PDF. I mean, that's exactly the opposite of what PDF's stated goal was or is, and it just, yeah, horrible. Horrible spec, but it is a spec that endures because the artistic side of of everyone, I think, ultimately, um, at some point we want a format that we can send to people, and and we can rest easy that the thing that we sent to the person is exactly is going to look exactly the way that we saw it on our screen. I mean that's the that's the benefit. That's where PDF won everyone's hearts over, I think, as normal people. Like, oh my gosh, that this is exactly what you're seeing. So if I send you a word processing document, well if you don't have that font installed or whatever, maybe it'll look a little bit different. Or if I send you Well, I mean, what immediately comes to mind I think is like a um a PNG. Like if I sent you a PNG, there's no separation of text versus uh, pictures, right? So PDF has kind of a layer approach, and it, it's got like this sort of font data, or not font, but text data to it, so that you can actually select the text in a PDF. Now, I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know why something like, for instance, the .xf uh, .xcf from GIMP. Why don't we just have readers that read .xcf files and they don't necessarily have to give, you know, they could compress all the graphic layers, but keep the text elements as as separate layers, and then your reader could just enable you to select just the text, or whatever. I mean, it, it really, I don't understand why it has to be PDF. I, I really don't, other than the infrastructure is set around PDF, you know, like, not and not just the, the software stuff. I mean, Yes, if I open a PDF, it it opens in a PDF reader. If I get a computer, it probably has a PDF reader on it. You know, it's just it's very ingrained in computers, and so is the hardware. The pr printers are built around not not necessarily PDF, but PostScript, which is the underlying technology there. And that's a perfect segue into the actual topic, which is PS2 PDF and GhostScript. So PDFs are at their simplest, let's say, not quite, at their simplest, they're just a bunch of images and or a bunch of text. That's what a PDF is. At their second simplest, it's images and text. So a lot of times if you purchase something online, like an ebook, um, far too often they are actually PDFs, which are not ebooks. That's not an ebook. An ebook is is like a book, except in electronic form. And that would mean that it would take advantage of the electronic medium 
so that if I put it onto a two-inch screen, then it will it, it it adjusts for that screen, keeping the font the, the text size readable, but scaling everything else down, whatever. PDFs are somehow misinterpreted as a form of ebook a lot of times, and so they are distributed as such. And that's a real drag because that means you have a bunch of really, really large files where that's not necessarily your what you need. For instance, a PDF certainly like there there's really not a PDF that you that you get that if unless you're going to print that thing, you don't need those full high resolution graphics because they're never going to actually be rendered on your screen correctly. They are always going to be scaled down to 72 or 96 or whatever your your screen DPI is. Now there's an argument that well, you know, by having the full screen graphics or the the full res graphics, we we're future proofing it because this way we've got these these things that'll still look really really sharp and clear on like a 4K monitor when you're looking at your PDFs on your 4K screen. And yeah, that that's a legit argument. I mean, that it really is. Um that said, I feel like it's going to be a long time before we get handheld devices that could leverage like I mean, there are handheld devices that can leverage that kind of quality, but generally speaking, like most people are not going to have those. I think that a lot of us are going to have either inexpensive tablets or even like tablets that aren't even built for PDF, like, you know, my Inkbook Classic. It, it really wants an EPUB. It doesn't want a PDF with a bunch of graphics to load and then some text to load on top of the graphics and all that other stuff. And I was going through some of my PDFs because I, I purchase a, a fair amount of, of PDF material because uh, a lot of role-playing games, tabletop RPGs, they distribute their 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 content as PDF, whether it's the the rule books themselves or adventures that are written for the RPG, the game part of the thing that you're playing, not the rule part. A lot of those are distributed as PDFs. I mean, some of them are are exclusively PDF. Uh, especially from independent presses they're not they're not going to send their content out to a a literal printing press because how would you ever get your hands on that it's just not effective so they're leveraging the internet for distribution uh, unfortunately they're leveraging pdf technology as their as their media and other times i i do this because it's just cheaper to get the pdf compared to the printed version uh not the i mean the printed version i would love to have generally speaking it is the um it's the shipping to new zealand lately that's really hanging me up so pdfs i i stumble across across them fairly regularly these days and luckily most technical books that i purchase are they're, they're savvy enough to just distribute as an ebook but the 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 game supply stuff not not necessarily the same. They they tend to just go to PDF, and they're usually not very well optimized. So that means I've got really really large PDFs sometimes for things that just don't need to be PDFs at all. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a way to shrink these things down? Maybe you know sacrifice quality on graphic. The 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 text won't be won't be affected at all because it's on a separate layer. So compromise quality on the graphics, 
but end up with something that, you know, my little $100 Inkbook reader, Inkbook is the brand, um, can can actually open, or or that just that'll just be more more responsive. You know, I mean, like if you're if you're looking through a a 300 or a 400 page PDF for some for some spec on a weapon or a vehicle it, it takes a long time to get there if if the computer has to flip through you know all those pages and then turn to that page and then render the background graphic and all that other stuff it just it's it slows you down and it's kind of annoying so i started doing some research on how to shrink a pdf down and there are two commands that are probably just built into your Linux box. One is PS to PDF. Now this one is hit or miss because it is, as the name of the command implies, it's meant for PostScript to PDF conversion. It does this with something called GhostScript. GhostScript is the free and open source answer to PostScript, which is the Adobe technology that you really can't get around especially if you're talking about PDFs. PDFs is, you could probably almost consider PDF as a container for, for PostScript. Like, if you thought of it that way, that's probably a pretty accurate way. So PS2 PDF is, technically, I think it's three different commands. It's PS2 PDF 1.2, PS2 PDF 1.3, and PS2 PDF 1.4. 1.2, and 1.4 are referring to the Acrobat, Adobe Acrobat versions for compatibility. Strangely, 1.2, 1 1.2 uh, ensures compatibility with Acrobat 3, 1.3 ensures compatibility with 4, 1.4 with 5. I don't really care so much about that, I just use PS to PDF directly. Uh, I did not notice any optimization or anything when playing around with 12, 13, or 14, so I just kind of let it figure out for itself. I'm assuming that I'm probably just inheriting one, too. I, I thought, I kind of felt like maybe that would produce bigger files, but I have not noticed a difference. Uh, th th that said, this is the least effective method, so I'm, I'm covering this one first. So ps2pdf is a pretty simple command. You simply invoke it and point it to a PDF that you want to reduce in size. So for the, for the purpose of this demonstration, I am pointing it at a, a randomly selected PDF from my role-playing game folder, and this one is called Razor Coast Freebooters Guide pdf and it is by a company called frog god games and it's something that i think i got from like a humble bundle or something it's not huge uh it is according to according to dolphin here it is by nature 15.7 megabytes so that's not by any means the worst offender um but it looks like PS to PDF has reduced it in size to 14 megabytes. So from 16 megabytes to 14 megabytes. That kind of tells me that they did, the publisher probably did do a little bit of optimization before distributing, before pushing this out to their to their customers. Because usually, I mean, in the past, I've, I've done it to a couple of other uh, PDFs that I, that I have, and I've seen... I've never, I don't think I've ever seen it cut it in half, but I've seen it cut it down by a third. 
yeah, in fact, here in my little log of testing, I have a, an 82, gig, uh, 82 megabyte PDF reduced down to 52.4 megs. So that's not bad. Um, but it does, and, and then in other ones that I've tested, it like there was an 11 megabyte one that I converted with PS2 PDF, and it technically got increased by, like, I don't know, like a kilobyte maybe. It wasn't a lot, but just comparing the numbers, it was, it was not, it definitely did not improve it. It, it technically made it worse. So that one's a little bit, um, like when I first tried it, I was super excited about it because, like, my first efforts were on very large, I guess, clearly unoptimized PDFs, and it cut it down enough to make me happy, and I was really excited. Then I started to try it on, on more and more and more, and I, I kind of started to see the, 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 the weaknesses in it. So I decided, well, I need to find something that does, that, that provides more reliable results. I don't know that I did, but I found a, a good alternative, and one that, that, that does t t tend to produce um, smaller smaller output, but it, it's again, it's not, it's, it has not been one of those things where I try a file with PS2 PDF and think, oh, that that didn't that that didn't you know that that made no difference or it technically increased the size. I'll run it through this other one. Oh my gosh, it's con it's it's reduced it in half. It's really been uh, PS2 PDF does well. Let's try this other one. Oh, it did better. So it's it's really been sort of like I, I feel like once you identify a PDF that cannot be reduced effectively, then then that's just the final answer. That that is a PDF that has been optimized as much as it is going to be optimized, versus find something that can be optimized, run it through either PS2 PDF or this other one, which I'm about to tell you about. And you, you'll get different results. Okay, so the thing that I, the other one that I tried is just Ghost Script as as is. It's just the the raw Ghost Script. I've used Ghost Script before directly to swap out file uh, fonts in a file. Uh, it was a file that I was going to send to Lulu.com for on-demand printing, and Lulu, like most of the printing industry is is heavily invested in or or bound by maybe uh, both Microsoft and Adobe Microsoft fonts specifically in the Adobe lots of stuff so I was sending a PDF which had been built to include the fonts like liberation serif and things like that but they they needed they demanded they were like you have to have I think it was times and it had to be times. It couldn't be a times compatible font. It had to be times. So I went in with GhostScript and just took the PDF and swapped out the files, or the fonts rather, in the file, something like that. So using it here, it's it's being used to 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 look at a PDF and then to turn on certain um, PDF options depending on the mode that you, or the, the target, really, that you intend this to be, to be for. Um, there, the options for this are, are, are a little bit unusual, because it's one of those where you're actually looking at this kind of invisible, 
dictionary that you're not really sure about what arguments are available and it takes a lot of research to learn what different options are available i imagine it's all listed in the pdf spec itself it can be very complex and very mystical and not very satisfying in terms of like have you learned anything today about pdfs probably not but here's here's what i used so it's ghost script which is just gs gs and then dash s so dash s is kind of like a selector i think um, and that's device equals, and device is all capitals, so device equals PDF write. Okay, so that's that's easy. That's what we're that's what we're outputting to. Dash D delta um, compatibility, and these are, these um, these have no spaces between the option and the and the key that you're setting. It's a key value pair, and there's no there's no space. So it's for instance dash S device all one string equals all one string. PDF write, so it's it's just no spaces, dash s, device equal sign, PDF write, and then space, and then dash d, no space, compatibility level equals 1.4, or whatever you want to set the compatibility level to. So once again, the 1.4 would ensure compatibility with Acrobat 5 and above. If you want to, uh, not future proof, but but past proof your document you would go further back like 1.2 or 1.3 and then dash d again delta for pdf settings and this is where you set your target uh, the, the syntax for this is really strange i don't really understand it but it's dash delta pdf settings equals and then forward slash screen now the forward slash screen is a, is basically the lowest i think the lowest setting that you can give a PDF. You're saying that the output target is, you know, 72 or 96 DPI, whatever. So everything gets rendered down to that as its target. So that's that's really the main thing. That's what's that's where it's really happening. That's the that's the part that's actually doing the optimizing. And then there's a couple of other options that I usually include, like dash D for no and uh, no pause, dash D quiet, dash D batch. So this just ensures that it just kind of keeps plugging away at your PDF without interruption. And then dash S output file, and that's again camel case, so it's output capital O file capital F equals, and then some some name. I'm just going to do output.pdf right now, and then uh, the file that you want to reduce. So in this case, it's razorcoast-freebootersguide.pdf. Now, it's not a super fast process. It, it It's processing and rebuilding, and it's doing a lot of different things, so it takes a while. You may want to not have the quiet on, just so you can see a little bit more activity. I don't usually have that on, because it doesn't tend to make a difference in my experience. So, it takes a while, but in the end, it looks like the output of just raw ghost script is 9.3 megabytes. So, 9.3 megabytes compared to 16 megabytes, almost half. Not quite. Now, what does it look like? Well, if I launch if I launch output.pdf in um, in Ocular, and I launch the other version of it, 
right next door to it. Um, to my eyes, it looks remarkably, remarkably similar. Now, if I zoom in on the full quality version, it actually still looks remarkably similar to me. I gotta be honest, it does not look like maybe it's just the particular page that I'm looking at, but it doesn't look to me. Yeah, okay, I'm starting to see it very, very high resolutions. I'm starting to see the lack of of like the anti-aliasing. Not really though. This is a really um, sort of unusually. I'd say this is a really sort of either a good or a really bad example because I mean you can't see what I'm looking at anyway but I'm just I'm zooming in waiting for things to look really good on one and really bad on the other and it's just not happening um, and there's not even that many like artifacts or anything on the one that I've compressed so yeah this is this is uh, I would say a textbook example of what's possible with the ghost script compression. Like that's really really nice. That's the one that Yeah, that's that's the one that really sort of that's the kind of result that so sold me on the uh, whole, the whole idea. In fact, I mean, I'm literally right now as I'm recording this, I'm I'm literally I just ditched. I just trashed the original uh for my for my compressed copy because it just that's exactly what I want to see in the compression and um, you know the, the the advantage there is that you can take the ghost script command as I've just dictated and put it into a script and run it against a whole folder and then look at your results see which ones are worth you know worth the compression which ones eh, it doesn't really matter and 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 just trash one or the other now, one of the things that I was talking about online when when I started the PDF compression thing, someone someone asked me, "Hey, well, can you just take a PDF and just convert it to something like an ebook with Pandoc or some, you know, one of those sort of Swiss Army knife style applications that 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 does conversion for text-based things like that?" And the answer is yes and no. The you know, Pandoc does a really really great job. But PDFs can get really crazy in structure. I mean, they really can. They can do all kinds of weird things with tables and charts and graphs and just and columns and little pull-out boxes, you know. And and while Pandoc can certainly grab, I mean, heck, you, I think there's even a tool called. You don't even need Pandoc for it. There is a tool, and I might not have it installed. Yeah, I don't. But there is a tool called PDF2Text, and you can just point PDF2Text at a at a PDF, and as long as there is text data inside of that PDF, which there usually is, it it will grab that text and dump it into a text file for you, and then you can take that and um, format it however you want to format it. So it's it's not something that you you know you, you have access on most PDFs to the text data like that that's something that most PDFs tend to to include in the PDF not all the time I mean sometimes they they 
you, you've got a PDF that's just a collection of pictures with text that you know with with some pixels colored such such that they form letters that are familiar to you which then form words that you can read so that sort of thing you can't extract text from but I mean unless you use like OCR on it or something but but generally PDFs have the text data you can pull it out you can do stuff with it but automated conversion of that usually fails pretty badly because it, it it'll look at a table of something and it'll just dump it out as a big long sentence or it'll look at a pullout box that happens to break up a paragraph you know how how magazines do that you know they pull up the pull quote or whatever well that pull quote just gets dumped you know straight into the paragraph because there's no there's you know there's, there's no separation i guess really between style and content you know it's like here's the content and darn it it is going to appear right here no matter what whereas in an ideal world you would have that content in a logical place but you would style it to appear to the eyes as a pull quote right there so that's pdfs are horrible like i said that's what i opened this whole segment up saying it's it's a horrible system it's a spec to avoid it is not something that i encourage you to to ever have to use but of course in the real world you're going to have you're going to come across pdfs so hopefully these two tips ps to pdf and ghost script will help you at some point when you need to compress a PDF to make it a smaller, more reasonable-sized file. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Misinterpret everything and start shooting your mouth off without asking any questions first. Uh, Why don't you shut up? 20 bucks, please. Did you take American Express?